Hello everyone and welcome to another week of Egg with Miss Wedger. This week is a little bit different. I have two different topics that I will be continuing to talk with Becky Haddad about. Uh, And one of the topics is being a parent and an agriculture teacher and what that's like. And the other topic is teacher transition from district to district. Um, So if you are looking at moving jobs or if you are starting a new job in a new district, she kind of chats about some of the research that she has done while she's been at Oregon. Um, And so it's a great episode to listen to. It is part two of a three-part series with Becky. So let's dig in. Hey friends, this is Hannah Wedger, an agriculture teacher in St. Paul, Minnesota, land of 10,000 lakes. And I'm here to talk all things agriculture education related, curriculum, classroom management, FFA, career development events, SAEs, and whatever else you want to hear about. It's basically me sharing chapters from my book of agriculture with all of you. So, let's dig in. (laughs) So, one of the other topics that you wanted to talk about, and I am super passionate about this, is being a mom or being a parent and an egg teacher. And I was just recently had breakfast with my, um, my former agriculture teacher, and I was telling him, like, I am such a big supporter of, like, you kind of have to, you know, figure out what your priorities are in life and then figure out how being an agriculture teacher works in. But then I was thinking, it's so difficult as an agriculture teacher. And, like, you think about programs in Texas or California where they have, I just, I, two or three episodes ago, um, my guest, they had a, like, school um, kennel, a school grooming, like, whatever facility. They had a school farm. And I'm like, how, I, you could be there 24 hours a day and not, you'd still have work to do. So I'm really excited to talk about this. I'm sorry, I'm a little <laughs> long-winded, long-winded, but I am very passionate about it. So yeah all of your ideas about it oh my gosh again i so full disclosure for those listening hannah said we can talk about anything that you feel like you're an expert in and i said i'm not an expert in any of these things but these are things i like to talk about yes (laughs) (laughs) so i guess this is one i would heavily preface with um i i have things that work for me um i think the moms out there and the parents out there know that there are things that work for them that don't work for other people. Um, and that it's, it's not something you're ever done figuring out. I've found, um, I also need to preface it from the standpoint of I'm, I'm a young, I have little kids. Um, they're four and I mean, my son turns one tomorrow, so. Oh, so fun. (laughs) So, and and Hannah, you've got little kids too. Yep, I got a three-year-old and a (laughs) 16-month-old. Yeah, so so we're both really in that, like, that little kid stage. Yes. And so I think for both of us kind of recognize, like, we we know that this isn't the only stage there is, (laughs) but our 
and how we're balancing it right now comes from that, like, we're in it with little kids. (laughs) Absolutely. I think that's a really great point to bring up. So I think one of the things um, I've, I've been trying for quite a while to figure out how do you actually, how do you talk about this and how do you help engage parents in ways that help them, you know, understand the work that it is to do what they're doing, um, to value what they're doing and to kind of help build some, build kind of a team of parents. Um, so you're not, not in this alone, you know, that other people are kind of going through this and kind of processing, I think helping processing through with other people to say, you know, what are you doing that works? Um, and one of the things that came up recently, I was at a, I was at a dinner event um, and one of my colleagues had recently had a baby. He, their baby's about six, six weeks old, two months old. And she was getting ready. She was getting ready to come back to work within the next couple of weeks. And she goes, I don't know how you do it. You have two kids. You're doing all this stuff. I, I don't know how you do it. And another mom was sitting at the table as well. And we kind of did that look at each other and smile and go, Oh, you know, you just do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And for the, like, and that wasn't the first time I've said that. And I thought, like, I thought about it that night. There were a couple other moms there and who had brought their kids. And, you know, it's, it's like six o'clock at night. The kids are not fun to be around at that time of night. No, terrible. (laughs) That time of night. I'm sorry. Mine are not. Mine are like, I'm done with the day. There's this thing apparently called, how, what is it? Restraint collapse where student, where, you know, little kids, they do their thing all day, they keep it together at school, and they get home, and they lose it. That happens. It sounds like my children. (laughs) Everybody else thinks they're great. I don't know. Um, I'm glad other people. (laughs) I always describe my kids, like, other people are like, oh my gosh, your kids are so sweet. They're so kind. I'm like, really? I kind of think they're animals. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's the worst in church, because I'm sitting there, like, the whole time. Shush, shush, shush. Like, listen. Like and they get done, and we've got these these sweet old people who sit behind us who go, "Your kids are so good in church," and they say it to my children who are like crawling behind pews and whatever else. It's oh, I don't again. Anyway, <laughs> so you know, six o'clock at this dinner event, there are a couple other kids there, and you know, it's it's a struggle for some of those moms who are there with their little kids and who are, you know, not wanting to eat and they want to go home. It's been a long day and, you know, you you watch and they're, they're not just doing it. Nobody's just doing it. Um, and so I, I was thinking about it more that night and was again, kind of feeling, feeling guilty about that response of like, like, Oh, you know, you just do. Um, and it kind of took some time to reflect that night and the next morning about what it is that we, we actually, we actually do. Um, yeah. You, I mean, my husband and I both work full time. Um, our kids go to daycare during the day. We travel. Like this, it it looks different for us than it does for the next working mom. Than it does for um, parents who are staying home. Than it does for parents who just have one parent working um, or who are just one parent. Um, and so, thinking about you know what what our day looks like to just do it. I know you can't see the air quotes, but um, (laughs) (laughs) 
but that just doing it is, you know, getting up at a certain time to work out and it's not having fancy breakfast during the week and it's sending my kids to daycare. <laughs> it's picking them up at night and having a meal that doesn't take more than half an hour to prep and it's meal planning and it's, you know, all these things that just kind of become day to day, but that I think if we don't acknowledge and don't give ourselves some credit for, like it, it feels like it feels like nobody else sees it. Like our kids sure don't see it. <laughs> they may see that mom and dad are busy and they'll make that comment, you know, like, why aren't you ever home? I want to spend more time with you. And they'll, you know, but I think for starters, acknowledging what are you doing as a parent with whatever job you're doing, but for our audience specifically, like, what are you doing as a parent and an ag teacher? What are the things you do as a parent? And like, how do you do all those things? For yourself as a parent um, and for your kids and then kind of making that same list as you think about what are you doing as, as an ag teacher and so just starting off acknowledging all the things you're doing <laughs> I think can be really valuable for you to kind of one validate why am I so tired by 7 30 <laughs> also in communicating with other people like this this is just what this looks like for where we're at right now and this is how we've chosen to do it yeah, and I I really think that's a great point to make is that all of us are kind of in a, a different point point in life and we're all going to be kind of figuring it out as we go along, especially as parents and our kids grow and we grow. Um, and I I am a huge like supporter of kind of figure out like I love how you're saying to lay out everything that you're doing as a parent and as you know maybe a husband or a wife or whatever it might be and then everything you're doing as an egg teacher and kind of figuring out how all those fit together um, mm -hmm. and I always it might look different for other people but I always I feel really strongly that your family and friends, it, like it's okay for them to come before being an ag teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Wait, what? Are you allowed to say that? I yeah, I'm like, oh, I'm. Do you say that a little louder? <laughs> um, but I do. I think it's really important to like look at your life as a whole. And I am kind of on my soapbox. Um, Sarah Nursewick, she's known as Egg Teacher How To's on Instagram. She did a podcast about kind of setting boundaries and she got me started on this. Like, <laughs> um, I don't, I just feel like you really got to take a look at your life as a whole and then kind of figure out like, what are my priorities? Is it my faith? Is it my family? Is it my friends? Is it being an egg teacher? And it might be like, mm -hmm. you might be in the point in your life where maybe you've just moved somewhere new and being an egg teacher is what's on your mind for the next six months and getting a new program started or whatever else. Yeah. I also like want to kind of challenge people in those positions to like, I don't know, there, there's life outside of being an egg teacher. And I think it's important to nurture that part as well. I think thinking, I think one of the things that I, I it never registered in my brain at the time, but if somebody would ask me when I, when I was a high school teacher, if somebody asked me, what do you, what do you like to do? I like being an ag teacher. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was all I did. Like, and then really until we had Anara just before my third year of teaching, like that is what, like, and my, that's what my husband did. Like our weekends were doing ag teacher things and it didn't even register in my brain to think about, Hey, stop. What are you doing? Like, what are, what are things you like to like? 
I like scrapbooking. I like running. I like playing piano. I like, you know, I like doing all these other things that I wasn't doing at all that I never even paused to take stock of. <laughs> so there's a really hard lesson that I learned. And after I had my, my son, I felt, I don't know. I just, I felt like super devoted to him um, and wanting to be just the best mom possible. I thought for a while I wanted to be a stay at home mom because that's what my mom did. Um, and I just felt like, like I really lost who I was as a person. Um, mm -hmm. and my husband was so good in supporting me. Like you got to find some kind of outlet, like you got to find something else to do for yourself. Um, and I finally started to do like a yoga class just one day a week on um, Saturday awesome. mornings, and it was terrible. Like the first few, <gasps> I know. Like the yoga class itself was amazing, but like the having to leave my kids and whatever else, and try and find the time to do it and whatever else, just felt like so terrible. And then mm -hmm. after a while, I was like, why have I not been doing this? Because it was such a release. I could totally look forward to it. And I found that like, I was a better mom when I came back from having some time by myself. And I kind of think yeah. of that in like terms of being an agriculture teacher too. Like if you have time to unwind and do stuff for yourself, you can go back into that program. So, like so energized. Absolutely. And like, I don't know. Like being off this summer, I really miss like my FFA kids and my program. And, you know, so I'm like eager, I'm already eager to get back and like, different things that I want to do or change up or things that I want to like get the ball rolling with. Um, and it makes me think of like when you like leave your kids overnight somewhere, like with grandma and grandpa mm. or whatever, like you're so excited to see them the next day. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of, it makes me think of the same thing with the egg programs. So yeah, I tell people I, I need to have, like, I like working. I, I'm not working because I have to. <laughs> yeah. But also, like, it's really good for me to miss my kids during the day. Yes. <laughs> I get to come back at, like, to have a time of day where I'm just like, I'm so happy to see you. <laughs> yeah. <them> too. <laughs> but to your other point, like, I think and apart from it being good for being good for people who are ag teachers and being good for parents for ag teachers, I think it's, it's healthy for our students to see us take a break. Yes. Like we're in such a go, 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 go culture. Like their, their families are going, they're going, they see all the adults in their lives going that when they see an adult with healthy boundaries, who says, Nope, sorry. That weekend is for family. Nope. Sorry. I need to be home for dinner at night. We can't have a practice at that time. Like one, it, it lets them know what it, what that looks like. Um, but it also, kind of helps, I think, I, I always struggled with this balance of, you know, do, do I want to recruit somebody to do what I'm doing? Like, is, is, is that a fair profession to set somebody up in and a fair expectation for somebody to be like, Hey, yeah, this is, this is, I mean, and I do, I think it's a wonderful profession and I think it's fantastic, but I don't think the way I was doing it was necessarily a way that I would encourage somebody else to do it either. So thinking about, you know, what does what does the example we set say for the people, say for our students that we might be trying to recruit as ag teachers as far as what it looks like to be an ag teacher and maybe what it should look like to be an ag teacher? 
I really like that. I think that's a great point to think about your students who might be potential egg teachers and just letting them know that it's okay to, you know, set those boundaries. I kind of think about, um, I took this from Sarah, <laughs> um, <laughs> but she said she sets her family calendar before she meets with her FFA officers to set the like year calendar. Oh, I wish I would have done that. You know, that's, I, I have wished I would have done that as well, because I think that's just such a great, a great way to approach it. And it, like you said, it really gives the students an idea of like, you know, my family's first, I really care about you guys, but this is kind of where my priorities are. Um, and I think that's really important and really healthy for them to see that, you know, you don't have to be going a thousand miles a minute. And sometimes it's important to take time for your family and friends. And um, yeah. yeah, I thought that was a good, good tip from her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, um, I it gives, gives your students space that like, gives your students space to say, no, I have this other thing going. And I think sometimes we have the expectation where we say, well, students should only do ag or should do all their FFA stuff. And this is going to sound blasphemous to some people, but they, they may have other things they're doing. And so if we can all have that conversation, we, we bite off reasonable amounts instead. Of <laughs> well, I think that's a good point too. You're choking. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For them to be okay to have those other things that they're working on too, or those other things, yeah. other priorities in their life as well. So. Yeah. Oh, that's a big topic. Yeah. <laughs> I um, <laughs> coming soon. I will be talking with another agriculture teacher about maternity leave, which is a whole nother beast. Oh. <laughs> um, oh. So that'll be a future podcast. I might have to have you as a guest because I feel like you might have some um, things. No, I'm the worst person to talk to about maternity leave. The advice I have about maternity leave is actually take it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, that's, that's the advice I have from making poor choices. Yep. <laughs> so... Hello! This is the part of the podcast where I ask you guys, the listeners, for um, support. So if you like this podcast, you like what I'm doing, you like the content I am covering, um, as always, please send me an email and let me know because that's super helpful. But you can also support the podcast by going to, um, if you go to the Anchor website on your laptop or desktop or whatever else, and you search egg with Miss Wedger, there is a button that says support this podcast. Um, and so you can pick a amount that you would like to donate um, or you would like to allocate to the podcast. And that just supports, um, honestly, the time that I put into the podcast. So I spend a lot of time recording. I spend time going through and making sure that there's no like weird microphone issues or whatever else. Um, and then I spend time setting everything up, getting questions, all that good stuff. Uh, so if you like the podcast, I would love, love, love your support. If you're not there yet, that's totally fine too. I understand that 100% completely. Um, but go ahead and follow me on Instagram. Um, let me know what you want to hear. Um, if you want to be a guest yourself, all that stuff is great. So thank you. And I hope you have a great rest of the day. Episode. <laughs>
Oh, that'll be a good one. You have, have you, uh, this is moving on to our next topic for yeah. school districts. Have you moved from one school district to the other or what is your expert or your interest in talking about this? Okay, so I have not actually moved. Um, okay. I, and so some of this kind of backing up. So this is, this is probably the area on our list that I'm the most expert in, um, if that's a thing. Uh, <laughs> You're the most expert, okay. But you as, have as far, yeah. school districts, so explain. But I have not, yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Like, what are you, what are you talking about? Um, so, I guess, I guess, kind of backing up, it was something I. Well, we'll back way up when when I was younger. So, pretty much from the time my family sold the cows when I was eleven, um, I was figuring this all out the other day because I was writing about it for something else. Um, until I got married, my family lived in. I think six different houses in about 10 years. Okay. Um, which you know, isn't, I don't know that it's, that it's that crazy. Like, like lots, lots of people move around. Mm -hmm. um, definitely followed me into my married life. My husband and I moved our stuff 14 times the first year we were married. We, oh my gosh. Six. Yeah. Um, that's another story, but we had six, we've had, six different places we've lived and we've been married for almost nine years now. Um, we've lived in five or six different States. So our, I mean, so we, we've moved a little bit. And I think one of the things first, when we talk about moving, um, I, I love the term migration because I think thinking about the profession, the, the bigger ag ed profession and kind of the bigger picture, I think you'll find a lot of people who, you'll find some, you'll find teachers out there who will say moving was a really good thing for me. Um, and who will say moving helped me get out of a situation that I didn't want to be in or moving helped me kind of reinvigorate my teaching and helped me rethink about what I was doing again, or helped me get, to, get to a better place as a teacher is essentially kind of the idea that people talk about. And quite often when we talk about teachers moving, we only, we, we talk about turnover and attrition <laughs> Yeah. That means if you left a school district, your turnover and attrition, <laughs> which, which is a little sad. Like we didn't, we didn't lose the teacher that left the school district. They just went to another district. And that doesn't mean that there, there's, there aren't some challenges for the school district that was vacated, but there's also some considerations for the teacher as far as how, you know, could that move have been a healthy thing that is keeping them teaching. And so this has kind of been my, my research interest for, um, for my doctoral work. And so thinking about, you know, how do people move? And there's a lot of research out there about why people move. There's a lot of research out there about the effects of moving on students. And some of this, like, teaching doesn't really have that much higher a mobility rate than other professions. Um, but I think we feel it in teaching a little bit more. I mean, we yeah. just we just spent a good chunk of time talking about how, you know, we get to really know our students when we talk about our SPED students. And when we talk about kind of that boundary with being a mom and being an ag teacher, some of that is like, but I'm also kind of a mom to my ag kids. And we can talk about whether or not that's a healthy thing another day, but <laughs> we have this attachment, right? And it's not just to ag teachers. Like we're attached to teachers. We've, we can, a lot of people can talk about their favorite teacher growing up and that teacher who retires and everybody's so sad that they leave. Um, 
or who move, gets married and moves or who, you know, does any number of things where they're not in that school district anymore. But we feel teachers moving because students spend as much time with teachers as they do at home, if not more. Yeah. And so when we think like we, we, the research out there talks about it a lot from the standpoint of it being bad for students and it being bad for schools, but it doesn't talk about it as far as, you know, how do we think about people moving as an occupation? So as an ag teacher, how do we think about people moving as a profession or just being a teacher? How do we think about people moving in the bigger education system? So when we think about people moving into policy or people moving into administration or people moving into um, post-secondary or higher ed, you know, all these other areas, I mean, textbook publishing or curriculum development, we've got all these other things that support education that I would argue are important for teachers in school districts to kind of help them feel supported and do their, like, if you don't have somebody who's helping make good policy for teachers, the person at the school district feels it. So do you want somebody who's like, who is a good teacher and who gets what's there to be doing that? Or do you want somebody who has never been in a school before to do it? Like, yeah. Uh-huh. You know, thinking about where are, where are teachers going? Cause it's not necessarily just school district to school district. Um, but really, I guess, kind of approaching it from the standpoint of our, you know, our, could we think about moving as being something healthy? Sure. So I have switched school districts once. I have, um, I taught in Sac Rapids Race for three years yep. um, before I moved to the um, St. Paul School District. Um, and that was a huge change for me. And like you had kind of talked about in the beginning, I think it was one of the best things that could have happened. Um, the first, if you would have asked me the first two weeks of that change, I would have cried and told you no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was, it was great. It really, like you said, reinvigorated my teaching. It, I approached things completely different. I had the set of students that I have now, the group of students that I have now is completely different than what it was in Sac Rapids. Yeah. Um, and I think really fits my teaching style better. So I, I think that's a really interesting topic to research. And when you think about like in Minnesota, what I know about like teaching positions and teachers moving is like exactly what you said, who moved to what district and what position needs to be filled now and how many positions are not filled and how many, or how many schools are going to have vacancies or not right. be filled by the beginning of the school year. And then I think this is kind of unique to agriculture um, and maybe some of the other career and technical education classes as well. But if they don't find a teacher, is that program going to close? <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. There's this like guilt associated with it, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think, I think what you, you talked about where if I would have asked you, you know, two weeks in, was it a good choice? And you would have cried and go, no, oh, this is terrible. Like, yeah. I, in, in doing that, where we just kind of, where we, you know, put on the guilt and we do all the, like, we kind of lump it in with attrition. We forget about that person who moves schools, who's not a brand new teacher. They've got experience, but there are, there are still challenges with, with changing schools. There are personal challenges with potentially moving your family, um, getting reacquainted with the community. And then there, there are challenges as you reacquaint with a school district and get yourself reestablished. And, but those, those aren't the same, I don't think as, it, it doesn't look the same as what a brand new teacher is going through. You know, you're coming in with some teaching experience. So 
you know, how do we, how do we make sure that in, that in teachers moving, we don't just forget about them and go, okay, well, thanks for making sure that program didn't close. Like, yeah. how, do we, how do we help them feel like they're not just a warm body that, you know, they're actually, that, that they're really valued as somebody who is reinvigorated in their teaching and somebody who's, who's doing good things, but is also going to be doing some hard work over the next year of learning new students and learning a new school district. Yeah, I think one of the hardest things for me um, looking back was the being observed for three more years. And I, w I had already taught for three years and then being observed three times a year for three more years felt kind of like insulting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I fully understand that that's the process that Minnesota goes through and whatever else, but it was just like, but I'm good. Like I, I got this. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, what what it's even things? Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh. <laughs> As I say, it's even things like, you know, all the, all the mundane things you kind of take for granted when you get familiar with a place, like where's the copy machine and do I make the copies or do you have somebody who does that? Or how do I go on field trips and how do I get money and order th Like all those tedious things that, you have to relearn in addition to all the, you know, systems and people and relationships that you have to um, learn and build. Um, I think, you know, recognizing, recognizing some of those challenges and saying, again, again, it, it kind of goes back to, you know, what you're doing as a mom and kind of goes back to the boundaries thing, acknowledging what you're doing. Um, but also recognizing, you know, are there, do we, do we make supports available? in Agad to say, hey, you just changed schools? All right, you know, maybe there are a bunch of teachers who changed schools this year, so we can kind of, you know, maybe there are some people who've changed schools before where we can say, hey, what are some things you gotta think about as you enter a new community? What are some things that, you know, I guess from my standpoint, thinking even bigger, you know, what are some ways that we can help, what are some ways we could work with FFA alumni? Say, you know, how do you welcome a new teacher into your community? How can we work with administrators to, you know, make sure the onboarding experience is such that that teacher's experience is valued, but the, and it, you know, and they're, they're helping teachers feel like that experience that they're bringing is valued. So it's not, so maybe that place does become more of an option as far as somewhere a teacher can stay. Um, yeah. I was going to ask you what, what are your suggestions for supporting teachers who move from district to district, but you kind of just answered that. I really uh, the uh, <laughs> talking to alumni and, and taking that perspective because personally, like, I felt like that was one of the most like overwhelming things is like, I'm in mm -hmm. a, new community, a new community. Where do I start? <laughs> right. I don't know what connections to make. I don't know, like, have they already, like, tried to make connections with this group or this com community member and they were hesitant, you know, like, it just seems so overwhelming. Yeah, and who do I start with? Because the former ag teacher may or may not be available. The admin may or may not know especially well. And so when, I guess, when you think about who's consistent in that community, the people who have been in that community, who've grown up in that community, who work in that community, who are, whose kids are going to school there, like, you know, how do you, from, from where I am now, thinking about how, how can I maybe help engage with, help alumni engage in ways that are 
All right, so you just got a new ag teacher. Let's, let's talk about how you help that person out. Um, because I think it's, there's, we, we often assume that, the, the, the way I think that we sometimes value experience is to assume that you know what you're doing, so you'll figure it out. <laughs> You've done yeah. that, so you can, you can meet new people and you can do this, but it doesn't look the same in the new, you know, there, there are different people there. <laughs> um, yeah. And different, it's a crazy thought, a but too, in like different communities, they do different things. And so that can be yeah. like overwhelming to just kind of know, like, what are the norms in this community? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But until we start talking about it as like, hey, thanks. Like, we're glad you're still here instead of, oh, well, you vacated that position over there. Like, until we get rid of some of that guilt and stigma, <laughs> we've, we've got a little bit of an uphill battle as far as how do we you know, can we, can we start shift? I think first it's, can we start shifting the conversation a little bit to say, Hey, these migrating teachers are doing hard work and they're doing good work and they're experienced, like they're experienced. <laughs> That's yeah. a thing, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so then how do we, you know, how do we support what they're bringing in and help, you know, help acquaint them with, operating a new area in ways and I I don't have the answer to that yet. I've been researching this for about a year and a half, so I'm very very new as far as kind of figuring out what this what this looks like um and you know what the what the suggestions are and what the supports and resources are. But I think just knowing that we can we could maybe say hey moving isn't a bad thing. Um it and starting starting the conversation I think is is going to be really important. Have you I don't know if you have numbers with this or anything but I'm just curious how many like egg teachers leave to go into other professions? I could pull the numbers um if you want to pause a second I can pull them. <laughs> I mean is it like a is it a large per 30 percent 40 percent? Um Hang on, I am pulling up. So National Teach Ag does a supply and demand study. Okay. And so they've got got it all. Actually, um, Amy Smith at University of Minnesota does a lot of work on this one. Um, oh, yay. I know, right? <laughs> Gotta love a good Minnesota shout out. Um, so as far as actual, as far as people leaving, um, there were... In 2017, there were 702 reported 702 teachers that reported reason reasons for leaving across the U.S. And so, okay. about 22% of that was retirement. About 10% okay. was employed in business or industry. How? What percentage? Sorry. Tw about 20%. Okay. Teen, ish. Okay, that's interesting because I know to be very frank, I went into the AGA degree with like the idea that I probably wasn't going to teach and that I was, it like was just a very safe degree because you could either teach or you could go into industry. <laughs> right. So right. that's why I was like, uh, that's a, sounds like a great deal. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I would be lying if it hasn't like, we did a tour two years ago of General Mills, their headquarter, headquarters, um, in just out of, outside of Minneapolis. And I was like, 
this is a beautiful place to work. I wonder if yeah. I want to work here. You know, you just kind of think about that as an agriculture teacher. Like, what would it look like if I was in a profession other than teaching? Um, yeah. So that's just really interesting to me. Yeah. I think interesting to note too. So um, there were about 1,800 new hires in school-based ag ed in 2017 across the U.S. Okay. 30% of those new hires were licensed ag teachers who had moved to a new school. Oh, okay. So 500 teachers. I mean, when you think about 500 people across the whole U.S., you're like, well, you know, but at the same time, 30% of new hires in schools were, are teachers with, with experience and teachers who, who are, you know, kind of doing this work that we talked about as far as, you know, getting acquainted with their community and actually moving their families and doing all these things. And so, I mean, what if, you know, heaven forbid, what if that third decided they were going to be in that reported leave, reported reasons for leaving category? So like, yeah. if we don't these teachers separately, <laughs> that's a little scary. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That is really interesting. Because if you break up that five, I mean, five, you said 500 approximately. If you break that up to, you know, we have 50 states and divide it out equally, which it probably doesn't work that way, but that's still 10 right. teachers from Minnesota or from yeah. whatever state you're from. In Minnesota, that is, I feel like that's a big number. So we have yeah. a, that's a focus group, man. Yeah, 250 <laughs> or something like that. I think they're 46 or something right. this year. And so that's like, yeah, like you said, <laughs> that's a nice little group. <laughs> right. Right. Um, that's but even really think like if those if those ten people could get could get connected within that state to talk about you know what does this look like in this state or I mean even thinking a little bigger like, what about those teachers who are coming from in Minnesota what about those teachers who may come from North Dakota or South Dakota or Iowa or Wisconsin like we talked at the beginning you know AGAD looks different in all those places so you know yeah that's now that's having a new community within the state like now you've got all this like this whole Minnesota AGAD on top of just the district stuff going on, um, which I think it's, it's important to think about that too, that yes, these teachers are experienced, but things look different. <laughs> yeah, I, that is a really interesting concept to kind of look at, and I'm interested in what you might find for additional supports for those teachers and what that might look like. Um, whether it's connecting up or, you know, talking with alumni or whatever else, but that is definitely well worth your research time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely appreciate hearing that, um, but I'm obviously a little bit biased as far as what, uh, what I'm <laughs> researching. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just curious, how did you come up with the idea? Um... I think, so going into teaching, I knew that high, the high school classroom was not where I was going to stay. Um, I wanted to do a good job while I was there, but I also, I, I remember telling my husband sometime during my first year of teaching, like, I'll know, I'll know I'm ready to leave when somebody else could, like, when the kids can just do it. Yeah. And when, when there's nothing else for me to add. And he said, well, there's never going to be nothing else for you to add. Like, you're always you're always going to find something else. So hopefully the first one, like, hopefully that first one works out. Yeah. Yeah. 
but knowing, knowing that, um, it was important for me to think about how, or, you know, what is, what does this look like when somebody else, when somebody else steps in? Cause it wasn't so much an if it was a when. Yeah. And so, you know, kind of trying to spend that last year thinking about, you know, how do I get, how do I make sure the kids are ready? How do I make sure alumni are ready? How do we make sure we're welcoming somebody else into this community? And I don't know that I did a good job. I don't think I did. Um, but reflecting on that and, you know, one wondering if, wondering if I, if the things I did were actually helpful or not. Um, wondering if I should have just buggered off and said, good luck. Like I, and, and, and I don't know. And so I think some of that not knowing and being in a position where, where I can do research now is saying, well, you know, what, what could that look like? Or what should that look like? You know, is it, is it the job of the teacher who's, who's leaving to go in and, you know, get all these things ready or what does, what does ready look like? Does it mean the drawers are cleaned out or does it mean that there are, you know, four people waiting that first day you come visit to say hi. Like, and some of that is, I don't know that there's going to be a one size fits all answer for somebody that would be really, for one person that'd be really welcoming. And for somebody else, that'd be really overwhelming. Like I just came to see what was in my room. Please get out of my space. Or, yeah. uh-huh. you know? <laughs> and so some of it, I think what I'm looking at for my dissertation is thinking about how do we, how do we, how do we look at the different people who are potentially engaged, professionally engaged in that process. So thinking about the teachers before and after, um, thinking about administration and close colleagues and alumni and things like that. And how do they, how do they see it? You know, is it something for, for the people who aren't teachers, is this something that's on their radar? Is it something they're thinking about? And if they're thinking about it, how are they thinking about it? Um, and for those teachers, you know, how did, what did this process look like? How did you how did you come into that community? What do you wish would have been different? Um, and really kind of getting into the, the nitty gritty of what did, what did those relationships look like? What would have been more helpful? Um, and kind of getting into that idea of the, the people are different, different wherever you are. And so figuring out how do we, how do we capitalize on the human resources that are there to make sure that people feel like they made a good choice when they decide to move. Yeah, that's awesome. I, that is so cool. I, um, I feel similar when I left my, the first school that I taught at. I wasn't sure like what to leave, like directions, no directions. Do I like Mm -hmm. pitch everything or do they want the stuff in the file cabinets? Like, you know, it's a really weird feeling as well to like figure out how do you, how do you leave a program for the next person too? Which right. That's probably a whole nother topic to talk about as well. <laughs> but that, that would be a really fun one to have a couple other ag teachers who've moved on and just kind of go through and say, you know, what did you do and what worked or what has like, what have people left for you and what was great about that? Like, I felt like I was, I mean, I was a new teacher, but I felt like I kind of came into a mess. I threw so much stuff away the first two years and did so much, like, feel like I did five years of cleaning. I <laughs> do, and I felt so guilty about it, but I'm like, no one, you, you can't use transparencies anymore. Like, no, I don't know if I can find an overhead projector. <laughs> yeah. I definitely, like, slide reels. I mean, the things that I found, yeah. like, hang on, nobody, nobody 
thought like maybe we don't need this like what's wrong with me that I'm the first person that's like let's throw this away I know are you a firstborn <laughs> child I am yeah me too <laughs> I um I actually am just listening to a birth order book right now because I'm trying to understand my children better but I've learned more about myself and that I'm just kind of like more of like a natural born leader and just kind of like let's take over the situation and like, yep. you got to take care of it. And then just one of the examples that they gave, I listened to it on an audiobook. Was, Do you like just go into room and you just need to like clear, clear house, like whatever. And I'm like, yes, that's yes. We're yes, gonna, I do. <laughs> we haven't used it in a month. We're done. <laughs> yep. Yep. So yep. <laughs> no, to that point, like with the birth order thing, there's also, I think something to be said for the generational piece of the whole yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's tons of you know popular press and research and economics about how how millennials, um, which I'm one, um, yeah, me too. <laughs> how we move more, um, and so it's something we're going to be seeing more and more of. But it's also something where you know how I think both sides are are guilt there. I mean, in in a lot of professions, there are five generations in the workforce. From I mean from Gen Z just entering to the silent generation that's still, that's still working. Um, but most closely millennials, um, baby boomers and Gen X, but they like the things change very rapidly, even between those three generations. And so thinking about what do they value in the workplace and how do we, how do we kind of bridge the gap between, you know, people who have been teaching for 30 years and somebody who's taught for 10, but in three different places, like, yeah. Cause I think there are ways that there are ways that millennials are talked about that aren't very nice. And there are ways millennials talk about people that aren't very nice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is somewhat related, but as I was having um, breakfast with my egg teacher a couple days ago, he was like, so I, I don't really understand this podcast thing that you're doing. <laughs> like, how is it? Did you interview Winnie for a podcast? What was that? Did you interview Winnie for a podcast? Uh, Winnie is not mine. Um, oh, my, really? Sorry. I was, I was backwards on that one. Who is your ag teacher? Uh, Bob Marzoff. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, but Winnie, Winnie would probably say the same thing. <laughs> um, but he was, he was like, I just don't understand how it's different than like, like the um, NWAE communities of practice. Like you can go and get the information. And I was like, well, I you know, I, it kind of took me back because I was like, well, like, why, how is it different? And then right. I was kind of thinking, like, a lot of people that I know, like, a lot of millennials listen to podcasts, like, in your free time, when you're driving, whatever else, and that's the way that you can get information quickly. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's a really interesting question, and it's had me, like, thinking, you know, what are the differences between different generations and how we, like, gather information and take in information as well, so. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> that's a lot <laughs> it's a, yeah yep <laughs> you just finished listening to egg with miss wedger where i'm sharing chapters from my book of agriculture with each of you i hope you enjoyed listening and learned a little bit more about our topic for today Visit my Instagram at Mrs. Wedger to follow along on my daily journey as an agriculture teacher, a wife, and a mama at two. 
If you have any questions or ideas on topics you want me to dig in and cover, or if you, yeah, you want to be a guest, you can send me an email at eggwithmisswedger at gmail.com. I hope you have a great week and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye, everybody.